Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Ridgeview, like we, we've said. We're so glad you're here to, to worship with us on this uh, special Sunday, and uh, we appreciate you taking the time to, to be with us. We're going to be launching a brand new series called uh, Joy in the Journey, and uh, we thought it'd be fitting as we celebrate five years to talk uh, for a few weeks about the journey we've been on so far and the journey that God continues to lead us on. Uh, as a church, five years is not a terribly significant amount of time, but uh, it is a crucial point to, to stop and pause and remember what God has done. Uh, but we do so not just facing backward. Uh, if you continually face backward, it's very hard to move forward. And so the, the idea is look at what God's done in these last five years, and we can't wait and we wait with anticipation uh, for what he'll continue to do. And so we're going to be uh, digging uh, in this series. But before we jump in, I just want to introduce a special guest uh, who's come uh, from Santa Clarita today, uh, Will Browning. If you could raise your hand, Will, and that's his son, Jed. Jed didn't know I was going to do that. There you go, Jed. That's a half 17-year-old uh, raised there. Uh, Will is the director of like the SEND Network through our Southern Baptist Convention, and uh, he leads SEND LA. And his role is to help start churches in the greater L.A. area. And so when you hear the word L.A., a lot of times we think it's like towards downtown. Uh, but he's really involved in helping and encouraging the work get started uh, in L.A. County, Orange County, San Bernardino County. What that's called is a great amount of space. And uh, he has been uh, such a help to so many. Um, I've had the chance to spend time with him. He's been a part of Blessing church planters. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we had the opportunity to go on a, a little marriage getaway, my wife and I, and hit him and his wife were in the mix providing that. And so he's actually uh, from uh, South Carolina. And so he's the reverse of what we see happening. Most people are leaving California to those greener pastures, but we have people like yourself, Will, who are leaving those greener pastures to help us water to see the growth that God wants to bring here. And so we just appreciate the way that you've supported the work here, supported us at Ridgeview. And so if you've not had a chance to meet Will or his son, Jed, I encourage you to do that uh, after the service. Uh, this is going to be one of those days, especially if you come uh, to our uh, anniversary celebration at three, where you're going to get a chance to see um, the work of Ridgeview and then all of the roots and all of the churches and the people that we've been connected to. And what you, you realize in ministry specifically is that there's no church that stands alone. You actually stand together with the people of God through generations, through the work that's been done, most of the time, which we, we don't see. And so we're, we're very grateful as a church for people like the Send Network who've supported us and loved us and uh, all the many people who have given and prayed. And so this joy in the journey is really a picture of what a privilege we have as a church and of the people of God to stand together with the work that he wants to do. And uh, I just want to briefly point out, since we're kind of in this nostalgic season, um, the joy of the journey has been felt in, in our family. And here's a picture of my family from February of 2018. There's something in the water here in Fontana, because what happened is, is my hair is not as dark as it used to be, and I'm shrinking or something, because my kids are now, and here's a picture of us from this last uh, Easter, and... Uh, the joy of the journey of just getting to do, oh man, I was, I was doing so good. And then I saw that, but woo. I made the claim that I'm gonna be like a fortress 
there's no tears coming from this rock. And so I do have one Kleenex in the back, so I can only use one Kleenex worth of tears. Um, but if you go back to that, that first picture, um, this is February of 2018. And it was the first time the team and us came here. This is not looking good. The one Kleenex rule, I'm in trouble. Um, but this was the first time that we prayed, and this is actually in the Coyote Canyon area. Um, I think that's the, the baseball field, softball fields right over there. And it was the first time as a team that we came and prayed for this area. So I'm going to pray, and my sermon's done. No, just kidding. Um, but as, as you look back, you realize, like, man, it starts a lot of times with a prayer and a hope. And a group of people that just say, God, you know, we're here, send us. Use us, all of our imperfections, you know, for your, for your glory. But this series is all about the joy in the journey. And so if you see me crying, it's not sad tears. Uh, most of the time when I'm crying up here, which if you've been around Ridgeview, you know that, like, that there's like a 50-50 shot you'll get. You know, we call this the splash zone, right? Like the front row, right? But um, the reason the tears are because it is so significant to be a part of the work of God. And these tears are our, of joy, of gratefulness when you stand and you take a look back on all, all what God's done. And so uh, this series uh, is gonna be talking about the journey, but, but I wanted to also let you know that we're gonna be working through the book of First Peter. And uh, it is a tremendous letter that was written to Christians that were scattered around in the first century. And if you know, I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, but I encourage you to buy this illuminated scripture journal that you can find on Amazon. And uh, there's a picture of it there. And it starts with scripture on one side and then um, empty pages on the other. Now, why the empty pages? Well, this is for you to be able to record uh, your thoughts. Um, I encourage you to read through this book over the next seven weeks as we do this series. Um, allow God to speak to you, ask God to speak to you and take notes and then bring this every week. And then as we're walking through this book together, uh, you'll have a chance to kind of say, you know, what, what is God uh, speaking to you? And then what is he speaking to us as a church? And then how does this really mobilize us forward in, in the journey that, that God has? And so I encourage you, uh, pick up one of these. Uh, you can find them off of Amazon for about six bucks. Uh, it's a worthy investment. Again, read by yourself, bring here, and we'll work from it uh, together. So I wanted to find some terms since we're talking about joy in the journey. Uh, joy is uh, a wonderful word packed with meaning, which is three letters, but here, here's what it means. The passion or emotion excited by the acquisition or expectation of good, that excitement of pleasurable feelings which is caused by success, good fortune, the gratification of desire or some good possessed, or by a rational prospect of possessing what we love or desire, gladness, exultation, exhilaration of spirits. Now, three letters, super long definition. But the joy that you see there is really like, how do you encompass a, a word? And you have to look at the, the definition of this. It's this, this idea of there, there's something that you gain that is good, that, that blesses your life. There's this, this peace, there's this wellness and a wholeness that comes from joy. As the church, as the people of God, if you've committed your life to Christ, you have to remember that that's the joy that we have in Christ. It's always in him. It's not in our circumstances. It's not in our own well-being. 
per se. It's in the joy that God gives. And here as a church, we really translate a joy into refreshment. So joy is, is this experience that we have, but we, we translate the action uh, to refreshment, something that we can experience. And here's the definition of refreshment. The act of refreshing. Now, anytime you read a definition and it starts with the word you're defining, you have to keep reading. What's refreshing or what's refreshment? The act of refreshing. Okay, well, what does that mean? Well, keep going. Or new strength or vigor received after fatigue. Are people fatigued? Yes. It's relief after suffering applied to the body. Here's another definition. It's new life or animation after depression applied to the mind or spirits. That which gives fresh strength or vigor as food or rest. The reason I bring this up is the joy and the journey that we can experience once you choose to follow Christ is really the foundation of how this church got started. We wanted to bring the joy of following Christ in the expression of this kind of refreshment. And this is actually our mission statement. If you've been around Ridgeview, you know this, but what's our mission statement? It's inviting people to experience what? Refreshing life in Christ. So go back to this picture of joy and this picture of refreshment. What is that? It's new life. You get the joy of new life in Christ. And we believe that God's placed us here in this region to reach specific people that are here to bring this refreshment that only comes from following Christ. This vigor, this this life that everyone longs for, everyone searches for, but without Christ, you will not find it. So this series, we're gonna be digging through the book of 1 Peter and discovering really that this, this journey that we're on that's not actually new to us in our century, in our day, in our culture. It's actually the journey that people the beginning of time, as they followed God and his purposes, as they followed Christ in his ways, as they received his forgiveness and his grace, it's the same journey. See, we, we all actually want to be unique, but there's a uniqueness that we have that actually binds us together, and that is that, that God wants to know us. He has a plan for us. He's made us, and as we re- reconnect back to him, there, there's no greater joy than, than following him. And so what I want to do is I just want to talk on this theme of refreshment and give you a a series preview of where we're gonna be headed over the next few weeks. I mentioned we're gonna be spending seven weeks together and we're gonna be working through this book. And notice this theme of refreshment. And here's the theme. The first five, I'm gonna be talking about kind of our mission today. Next week, uh, the refreshing hope that we have. Uh, The week after that, refreshing community, refreshing freedom, the refreshing character we can find, refreshing service and refreshing humility. And we'll be walking through each chapter of 1 Peter, unpacking this identity that we have, rooted on the refreshment and the new life that we can find in Christ. And God's word speaks to us. And my prayer over this series is that it will speak to you specifically, that that you will get this this new life and vigor for your own spirit and your own soul and your mind. And even what it, that definition of joy, that, that overcoming that, that tiredness or that depression, like whatever we're facing, God will meet us where we are and he will help us. And so my prayer is as we dig into this book together, that God will really use it to just light a new flame and a new fire in us where we know God will come through like he has in the past and he will continue to uh, into the future. So since we're starting, I wanna just give a little bit of um, a background on uh, this book. Uh, really this letter um, called First Peter. Now, any guesses who wrote First Peter? 
It's not a trick question. Good, it is Peter. It is Peter. Uh, he, he wrote the, the book, and you've probably heard of his, his name, um, and we'll see the description of him. He was an apostle. He was actually a disciple of Christ, followed Christ early in his ministry. He was a fisherman. He was called by Christ to follow him, and Peter did. And he saw firsthand eyewitness of who Christ is. He was a close follower. He knew him. He knew him in a, in a real way. Uh, the description of an apostle literally means this authoritative messenger, that you, you've been given this message from Christ to spread to all who hear it. And we read this, this book with that in mind, like he has a message uh, for us today. Uh, this book was written in Rome uh, around 62, 63 AD. And so if you could imagine, uh, he wrote this about 30 years after Christ had died, was buried, and resurrected. Now, in those 30 years since that had happened, you could imagine all the experiences that Peter had to be a part of the new movement of Christianity, introducing what it means to follow Christ to people that had no idea what that meant to them. And he had many interactions and experiences, and we're going to kind of dig into those uh, through this book. And so let's start. Uh, Today, we're going to be doing just two verses. We're going to start in 1 Peter 1, verses 1 through 2. And the reason this is important is because this whole beginning sets up this idea of identity. And it was actually like the song that the band just led us in. And I, I love that song because it's talking about your identity and, and who you belong to and who defines you really does shape who you are. And Peter actually has that same theme. Knowing who you are and your identity is, is very important. And so let's read it together. It says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, To those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Benethia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. This is what you call a first century biblical greeting. Now think of the last text that you sent to a friend or a family member Hey, bro, comma, hi, how are you, comma, right? Like our greetings most of the time are very short and sweet. Hey, you busy? What's up? What are you doing? Well, when you read these greetings, specifically these letters written to a group of people, you find a lot about the identity of these people. And in this first two verses, although it's short, you really find Peter addressing identity in three ways. He defines himself. He defines the group that he's writing to, and then he's defining really the people of God. And so for us, we fall into that third category. If you're a follower of Christ, verse two is written for you and is written for me. If you're not yet a follower of Christ and you're trying to figure out what it means to follow him, what it means to surrender your life, where you cross that line and you say, you know, I believe Jesus is who he said he is. I accept his payment for my sin. And I invite him to lead my life. When you get to that point, you now enter from that identity. You're now no longer just by yourselves living life your own way according to your own terms, but now you decide to follow Jesus. And so Peter begins with this because he wants to make it really clear. Everything that he writes for the rest of this letter hinges on the identity that he talks about in the first two verses. And as we talk about the first five, that's the title of today's message, and we look back on this first five years, our identity remains the same. God may bring new people and 
Lord willing, we'll continue to grow and reach people who don't know Christ, but our identity will always be the same. We're the people of God, known by him and sent by him. That mission will always be the same. The people of God, known by him and sent by him. And Peter wants us to understand that, that our identity really launches so much for our life. And I wanna start with, with that major point, and it's this, is that who we are determines what we do. Now, just for interaction's sake, this is first service. We're gonna say that together, okay? One, two, three. Who we are determines what we do. That's the identity, the who. Who are you? When you wake up, when you look in the mirror, what you say about yourself, what you believe about what people say about you, who are you? Your identity and who you think you are, whether you're young or whether you're old, shapes your actions, shapes your perspective, shapes your values, and leads you down a path. Your identity and how you define who you are determines what you do in your life. So Peter knows this. The people of God know this. Christ knows this. And again and again, the description is on being sure and having assurance of who you are in Christ. Now, for some of you, if you grew up in church, you may have kind of learned all about who you are as a Christ follower and what that means. But what happens is, is each day we have to renew this identity. It is secure. It's secure on Christ. But we forget. We get mixed. We see the wrong kind of ideas of ourselves and we, we soak it up just like, we, you know, just culture and what it says about us and we just soak it up and it becomes who we are. But we have to kind of wring it out and the scriptures are this idea of filling us again with who we are in Christ. And so I wanna start by just talking briefly about Peter. I mentioned uh, he was a disciple of Christ. He, he was a fisherman. Um, in Acts 4, 13, I, I actually like this. It, he was considered ordinary and uneducated. Very interesting. So ordinary. Now, how many of you, when you go to a party, want somebody to introduce you as an ordinary person? You know, this is Alex. He's the pastor of Ridgeview Church. He's an ordinary guy. Like, if I meet somebody, I'm like, thanks? Like, I don't know what that means. Ordinary is not usually the, 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 the leading foot that we want to lead with when we introduce ourselves to people. We, we want to be different. But the scriptures define Peter as being ordinary and uneducated. Now, why would that be significant when we're talking, significant when we're talking about identity? It's because so much of the time we try to place our own value in our achievements, specifically on, on what we know and our knowledge and our experiences. Now, those can be great teachers, but anytime we put the value in, in our own identity and being self-made and our own self-worth, when that becomes the focus in itself, uh, we, we just begin in this vortex where we just get dizzy and dizzy because we can't be self-defined. We need someone outside of us to define us. You can't define yourself because you're you. And so when it says that he's uneducated and ordinary in Acts 4.13, it should give great hope to you. It gives great hope to me. Because if God can use ordinary and uneducated people, he can use us. He can actually use any of us. And so that's an important to, to note. Um, he was a close friend of Jesus. He'd been with Jesus from the beginning of his ministry when he was called as a fisherman. You could imagine all of his writings as he's writing the words that the Holy Spirit led him to write, the inspired word of God. If you could imagine the pictures and the images of what Jesus had told him and stories and experiences, all these things were in the back of his mind, direct experience with Jesus Christ. 
Jesus, uh, Peter, sorry, is, is also the person who, who denied him. If you know the story, how many times did Peter deny Christ? Three times. What's crazy about that is Christ told him he would do it. That's one of like the worst stories. You will deny me. And Peter's like, no way. No, Peter, you're going to actually deny me three times. And you could imagine like Peter was like always just right on the tip of probably saying something he shouldn't say. I also appreciate that about Peter. Kind of let his, his words fly a little bit. Gives hope to those people who maybe we do the same, right? But you can imagine, like, you're crazy, Jesus. And then maybe, like, oh, maybe I shouldn't have said that. But there's no way. And then what happened is he, he actually denied him. In the, the most trying time of Christ's life, as he was getting beaten and persecuted and crushed, his followers scattered. And they came to Peter and said, like, aren't you one of his? No, three times he denied him. Also very significant. If you've ever screwed up in your life, this book is a hope for you. Because Peter, he messed up. In fact, what I appreciate about the scriptures is again and again it points to a bunch of broken people who God mends together to use for his noble purposes. And through the cracks of the people's lives, the brokenness of those people, the light shines through. And that's what's needed because if we don't have those cracks, then the light of Christ doesn't shine. It becomes about us. And so Peter is coming really from a man who'd been humbled from Christ directly, been humbled by his own choices. Many times he had messed up. But he had seen God come through again and again. And so the writing of this letter is coming through these 30 years of experience of laying it all on the line. And so when you read, you go back to that scripture if you could. When you read those, those first words, it's easy to, to go quickly. Peter, what an apostle. But in that is, is who he was, saved by the grace. Now, the highlighted is the identity of the people he's writing to. The audience. It's got some words in here. First, it's got some regions that we don't know about, but the elect exiles of the dispersion. The dispersion uh, means uh, the scattered people. And this was uh, speaking really to the, the geography of the time. And so the, here's, here's a map of kind of this world. Now this is, if you see the yellow circles, if you can see those, it might be a little bit faint. Uh, but this is actually what we would consider modern day Turkey. But these are the biblical cities that, that these people uh, were in. Now, the, the list of the scriptures really probably express kind of the, the journey of this letter traveling to these people. And Peter had somebody who couriered this, this letter to these people scattered in these regions. And so, uh, interesting to note, Peter describes them as elect exiles. And so, elect uh, is, is chosen by God. You're chosen by God. And Peter later describes that more. And then the exiles is really this picture of, of you're your a stranger, uh, both geographically and politically, if you can imagine they're in different regions. This is all under the Roman control. And you had a mixed audience. Some of these were probably Jewish Christians and some of these were Gentile Christians. And so there's also a difference even in the church body of tremendous uh, different backgrounds. And so Peter's writing with this mixed audience. And he's saying, listen, you're a scattered people. You're scattered in these regions. That's part of who you are but it's connected to the identity that, that Christ has given them. They're elect, chosen by God, exiles. And the exiles isn't just talking about the map. 
The exiles is talking about their place being known by God. And the idea is you're living, and this is a, a biblical theme, you're living as an outsider. I'm writing not to you just scattered, but I'm writing actually to you who are outsiders to this world. You don't quite belong. You don't quite fit. And that's who you are. Now, for some of you who know my story, I grew up in the uh, kind of a military family. My mom was British. My dad was in the Air Force. We traveled a lot. One of the goals uh, early on in my life was always to try to fit in. If you're younger, and even as an adult, you always enter a space and you're trying to feel like, do I fit in with these people? There's just something in us. Do I look like these people? Do I talk like these people? Do I think like these people? Do I dress like these people? And we want to fit in. And so, so much of my life was spent trying to get into a new area, and we would move a lot. And I would go from not just state to state, but from country to country, from England to Texas, from Texas back to England, from England to uh, Northern California. And the hardest transition for me by far was to this state, you Californians. And I came as a seventh grader, a British boy living in a foreign land. And I remember early on, I didn't look like them, I didn't talk like them, and I didn't think like them. And some of you heard this story, but my most prized possession early on was when I had a United Colors of Benetton backpack. It was like the most expensive uh, article I'd ever received, and I'd got it as a going-away present from leaving England to come. And the crazy thing about a United Colors Benetton backpack is it is the most girly, multicolored backpack ever to exist. In England, that's like the most manly. I don't know how it works. Got to go back and ask them. But here, it didn't fit. So here I am wearing this prized possession, the most expensive article of clothing I'd ever had, my United Colors of Benetton backpack. And as I'm walking to school, in the early days of school, I hear two seventh grade or eighth grade boys behind me just saying, what kind of a backpack is that? And I'm thinking like, oh, they, they notice it, you know. It's a new European brand you don't know about. And they just said, that is like the, the worst backpack I've ever seen. What colors are those? And I just began like just shrinking. Like, you know, I just want to open the backpack, crawl in the backpack, and never be seen. If You guys remember what junior high is? Okay, I'm just going to really depress us and bring us back. We're really low here. And I remember I went home and I told my mom, I need a Jansport backpack. You know what I'm saying, right? And like preferably like a color that looks really just dark and boring. That's what everyone has. And I never took that Benetton backpack to school ever again. Now, I've told this story numerous times, and one of the greatest joys I have in my life is to see the work God's done in me is I have people throughout the world that anytime they see a United Colors of Benetton store, they take a picture and send it to me. So if you will, in your travels, if you come across one, you send a pic, okay? And I'll give you a thumbs up. Thanks for listening and hearing me out, okay? But this idea of fitting in is so important. But if you're a Christ follower, there's something you need to know about your identity, and this is so important to this understanding that the joy in the journey is you can't think that this earth and this life will give you the joy that God has for you. There is a greater joy that comes, not just here and now, but it actually is in forever and eternity spent with Christ. We short sell belonging in the short term for the richness of belonging with God in forever and eternity. 
And Peter wants to know, I say you're elect exiles and this is a jewel for you to wear. This is something unique to you. You've been known by Christ, called out by Christ. He has a purpose for you. You be proud of who you are. You're an elect exile. Then in verse two, if you could put that on there, it talks about the identity of all who decide to follow Christ. So Peter, his identity, the audience, the elect exiles who were spread, and then verse two, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. Now, if you ever read scripture and you read a sentence like that, it is just power packed with so much. And that's where sometimes reading the scriptures can get discouraging. Because you read like sprinkling with blood, and you're like, okay, that, that just kind of went in there. I'm not exactly sure what that was talking about. And we're in the second verse. But what you do is if you get confused, you just kind of break it up phrase by phrase. And then if you get stuck, part of what we exist here as a church community is ask questions. Come to the next step table after church and say, you know, I've been reading the scriptures and I'm working through First Peter. I don't know what this means. What does that mean? And ask. Because it is packed with so much truth, but sometimes that truth can be just confusing. And so we don't, we don't gain it. And so what I want to do is just kind of talk through uh, this point, this power pack point that, that Peter's making. And so now he's saying that this, this letter and what I'm about to tell you is, is for those who follow Christ. Now, the goal of Peter and the goal of our church is for our focus as we open God's word is not for this just to appear like this is only for those of you who follow Jesus. The thing about Jesus is there's always an open invitation to follow him. And no matter who you are, speaking of identity and what you've done and how you've defined yourself, Jesus is always reaching out and calling you to himself. And so one of the goals is we want to encourage you as a Christ follower, and then if you've not yet decided to follow Christ, what the scripture says, today is the day of salvation. This can be the day you choose to follow him. So as we define identity, if you've not yet decided to follow Jesus, you have to take this step back and say, is that the kind of person that I want to be? Does this compel me? Does this give answers to some of my questions? Does this give some fulfillment to what I'm looking for? And in my own experience, based on who I am and how I've been made as I read the scriptures, Christ is always the answer to every longing I've had. And if you follow Christ, I'm sure that's the same for you. So he's describing this, this for all who follow Christ. He says, according uh, to the foreknowledge of God the Father. This is speaking to the fact that, that God knew you and God knew me before we were born. Now that can seem like this distant God figure, way off, knows everyone like I've made you and here you are. But it's actually speaking, when it speaks of the foreknowledge of God, it's speaking to this close, detail, affectionate knowledge of you. God made you with a deep joy. He made you unique, exactly how he wanted to make you. Now, you may have experiences that he's allowed to have, but he didn't necessarily want you to have. And there's things about you which you may not like, but in the middle, again, of all those cracks and all those things, God is calling you to himself. And he's known you before the beginning of time. Think about that, the creator God had you in his mind. Well, why do I know that? Because you're here. Because you were created by him. He breathed breath into you. 
This is why every human being has significance, because they have received the breath of God. What a tremendous gift. Every time, just take a breath. Exhale. Guys, were you holding your breath or what? Take a breath. This is post-COVID, guys. We can breathe. Like, you don't have to hold your breath, okay? Like, breathe in and breathe out. That's a gift. We don't think about it. It's a gift from the living God who knew us before the foundation of the world. So according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father. And Peter actually is describing this, this trinity, the, the Godhead, three in one, this holy work of God. And then he says, in the sanctification of the Spirit. And this is describing the one work that we receive to be forgiven. And also the ongoing work of God himself living in you through the Holy Spirit. When you decide to follow Christ, and I talk about today is the day of salvation, when you cross that line, you say, I give my life to him, I follow him, I surrender to him. At that moment that you decide to follow Jesus and do life his way and you surrender, God himself lives in you in the Holy Spirit. Speak about the breath of God. You go from the breath of God to now having God himself. What a tremendous privilege. God living in you to guide you, to help you. When you're off you know, track to convict you of sin, this is the sanctification work. It's this growing work where you're not the person you used to be. Now here at Ridgeview, we want all types of people to come. And we accept everyone. That's the gospel. But because of this verse, the sanctification of the Spirit, we cannot approach the Christian life thinking that we can just stay the same. Yes, we're accepted, but the Holy Spirit wants to fix some things in you, and he wants to fix some things in me. And it doesn't go long in life and in relationships and in our decisions to see some of the things that he may want to fix. And the reason we gather in his name and we sing songs to remind us of who he is, and we dig into the word, is to remind us of this sanctification work that he wants to do, changing me from who I am into who he wants me to be. Now, if some of you would have met me, like my wife met me when I was 17, there's probably a lot of you who wouldn't be here if you knew Alex back then. Are you grateful that you're not the same person you used to be? That should be really louder. If some of you are like, no, actually, I really like 17-year-old me. I made better decisions. I was better in my relationship. No, I mean, when you look back and you can see the immaturity in life, one of the greatest gifts you have in the church is to see people grow. And somebody can say, wow, you're so different than when I first met you. And that's a tremendous compliment. You're an elect exile. You belong to the living God and the sanctification of the Spirit. Now, he gets a little bit more complex. What's interesting about Peter is he says, you know, in Acts 4, he was an uneducated, ordinary man. And sometimes you read verses and you're like, well, what does that mean about me? Because I don't understand what he's saying. But he's actually speaking of a tremendous just beauty of like the biblical theme of sin and forgiveness. And he's talking about this last part for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. He's reminding us, if you're a follower of Christ and for all who are invited to follow him, that we've been forgiven by Christ. We're set apart to follow him. And he describes this, this sprinkling with the blood. Now, the interesting thing about the sprinkling in the blood and talking about identity is there's no part of me 
when I'm thinking about being clean or washed away, would I think blood would be involved? Now, some of you, uh, if you, you're married and you have kids, there's usually one spouse who does the blood, one spouse who does the throw up. Anyone relate? Okay. Anyone that you have to do both. We're gonna pray for you after the service. You were gonna, you know, but there's usually like it falls along lines. So I do the blood in my family. My wife does the throw up. Sorry, guys, this, this isn't even on my notes, but I just, I just really need to get this out. But, but there's no part where I'm ever dealing with blood, a bloody nose or, or anything that it's like, you know, I'm just washing my hands in it. Like it's, it's disgusting, like it's gross. But here we're talking about this, this sprinkling with his blood. It's like, that's the last thing of being clean. So what is Peter getting at? Well, it's actually a deep theology here. That's why we have to read the scriptures and, and chew on it and ask questions. Uh, the blood actually represents life. This is the theme of blood throughout scriptures, specifically in the Old Testament. And the shedding of blood signifies death. And that's what happens, right? We have blood in us, but if blood pours out of us, we, we die. And so blood represents life, but the shedding of blood signifies death. And sin actually brought death all over our existence, in us, near us, by us. It brought death. And so when Peter's talking about this sprinkling of the blood, he's actually knowing that all the people that he's writing to, this audience, these people scattered, knew of this sacrificial system. And they may have known that because of their family, or they've just known that because of the time that they lived in and they saw this practice. If they were a Gentile, they saw the Jews doing this, but it was the significance of the blood that animals shed to pay the penalty for human sin, the sacrificial system. Now, that blood was shed kind of as that death. Somebody has to die for the sin, so whose blood will be shed? Well, we give this, this animal as a sacrifice. That's the payment. The blood needs to be shed. The animal will shed it to pay for our sin. But that payment was always temporary. Because the idea is, as people keep, continue to sin, the sacrifices have to continue. More blood has to be shed. More blood has to be shed. It was a temporary solution. Thing is, is because we sin ongoing and sin continues to just permeate and wreck our entire world, we actually need a permanent solution. What Peter, in this imagery, is saying is that Christ is the one who sprinkled his blood once and for all to pay the penalty for your sin, to pay the penalty for my sin, of your parents' sin and your grandparents, of your kids' sin, of everyone that's gone before us' sin, for everyone who goes after us' sin, the sprinkling of that blood. You see this in Hebrews 9.12. This is a beautiful verse. It says, he entered, speaking of Christ, once for all into the holy places. The holy places represent the priest who would present the sacrifice. He was the only one that could go in there. But Christ, he entered for all into the holy places. All, not by means of the blood of goats and calves. No longer that sacrificial system of the animals, but by what? The means of his own blood. Thus, Securing, what is it? An eternal redemption. So think of this imagery that Peter is speaking of. 
known by God, uniquely loving, knows who you are, made you who you are, placed you where you are, and then given the Holy Spirit to change you, to grow you, to create you a, a new person, refreshed with the new life of Christ. Well, how does this work? Because you have redemption. You've been forgiven once and for all through Christ. So in verse two, you see again this, this work of God, God the Father, Christ the Son, and help by the Holy Spirit. And then he ends with, I think, some of the, the, the greatest sentence that you could find. What's Peter's hope? Again, who he is, who he's writing to, and then for all believers, what does he hope for us today? That grace and peace be multiplied to you. The reason this is so significant is as a church, as we look at all that God's done, as we celebrate today, we want to celebrate. We want to thank God. We want to honor him above all. That's our goal. That's why we celebrate these things. It's not to look at us, but to magnify the Lord Jesus. But our goal is that we will experience this again and again. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Well, how does that happen? Well, when you're known by God and you're forgiven by Christ and you're helped by the Holy Spirit, it's possible because that's your identity. You try to chase grace, you try to chase peace, you try to chase your own well-being outside of being known by God forgiven by Christ and helped by the Holy Spirit, you will chase that your entire life. What we have an opportunity here in North Fontana, in our community, as God continues to grow and multiply the work here, we have an opportunity to share with all the people, you know what? You can know grace and peace like you've never known it. That's the word multiplied. It will be such an abundance to you. It will change your life. We have an opportunity as a church to continue to share that truth. We have an opportunity as people to remind ourselves that this is what we stand on. We're known by God. We're forgiven by Christ. And we're helped by the Holy Spirit. This is who we are. And it determines what we do. So as I close out, I just want to walk through a few things. If you've never committed your life to Christ, I actually want to just lead you in a prayer of salvation right now. And you can just repeat this back to God. And this is your way of saying, you know what? I, I know enough of who I am. I know enough of who Christ is and I'm ready to follow him. And so if you could, everyone just bow with me. And if, for all those who've not followed Christ, you can repeat this. God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I'm in desperate need of your forgiveness. I confess my sin and ask you to forgive me I know that I cannot earn my own salvation. I will never be good enough. But because of your son, Christ, I've been given a new identity. So God, right now, I decide I want to follow you with my whole heart. I want to do what you say according to your terms. So I surrender my life to you right now in the name of Jesus. Now, amen. Now, if, if you've prayed that and you've never decided 
It's not this magical prayer, but it's this posture of surrender. And if you decide today that that's you and you want to surrender your life to Christ, if you've never done that before, please come to us at the next step table. Let us know. Because now our job as a church is to help you grow into who God's made you to be. We want to partner with you in that. That's why we exist as a church. Now, for others of you, um, I just want to briefly just give some practical implications. What does this mean to be this person who knows who you are? Well, at your your workplace, uh, you can serve people. You can sacrifice for others, knowing that God will take care of you because you're known by him and you're helped by him. So as you extend yourself for others and you you kind of take a step back and you're like, is God going to take care of me? You you can go back. Yes, he'll, he'll take care of me because that's who I'm made to be. If you're, you're parenting your, your kids and you're tired and it's draining and you don't know if anything's working, you know God, God will bring you the, the help. Why? Because you're known by him and he gives you the Holy Spirit to help you moment by moment. This is what happens when you follow Christ. He's with you in every aspect of your life and his word gives us the help. So who you are determines what you do. Uh, there's some next steps. You'll see the, the connection card here. Uh, this is a key way of walking forward in the Christian faith, and it's this. Did you know that nobody knows what you're thinking unless you say something? I just solved years of marriage problems for some of you today, right? No, but it, it's true. In any relationship, you don't know what people are thinking unless they communicate. Is that correct? You guys still with me? Yeah, I don't know what you're thinking unless you answer, right? It's true. But there's something about this spiritual process where there's times where you need to communicate to us how we can help you so we can do so. And like I mentioned, if, if you've never committed your life to Christ, please come by the back table. Uh, we can't help you unless we know where you're at. If you have questions and you're not exactly sure if you're ready or what that means, like, talk to us. It, it, it's really a life-to-life uh, engagement that happens. And I know that can seem intimidating, but but this is a step of faith. You say, like, I, I want this for my life. And so the connection card is a way that you can communicate with us. Come to the next table. You can have a conversation with us. Uh, we, we do want to help you. And so uh, if you've decided to follow Jesus and you prayed that prayer, let us know. Um, we have people that are sorting through this right now. And Lord willing, in our baptism next month, we'll see people who've decided to follow Jesus for the first time. And that's what we want to celebrate. And so let us know if, if that's you. Um, the ne- another next step once you finish filling that connection card out is uh, come to our anniversary celebration. Uh, that's today at three. Um, we're, we're just partying all day, people. Have a donut, tide yourself over, grab a great, quick lunch, and then come back and there'll be some more food, okay? Um, this is first service. You guys got here early. I'm gonna tell you what we're gonna serve today. This is just for you. Portos. Okay, all right. Um, <laughs> So there's that. And then uh, sign up for the preview class. Joel mentioned that. And then what I want you to do, again, get into God's word yourself. Read 1 Peter 1 uh, this week. Now, 1 Peter 1 doesn't mean just 1-1. We did that today. It means chapter 1. So if you're new to the Bible, you just look at chapter 1, read all the way until it gets to 2, okay? No, and it's being serious. Like, that's just helpful if you're new to reading the Bible. So read 1 Peter 1 this week. If I've not met you, I'd love to meet you. Uh, after the service. Thank you so much for being with us. Hope to see you guys at the anniversary. Uh, Let's pray together. 
God, we, we just thank you for the tremendous gift of following you uh, to being in church together for the work that we've done uh, through you. And we've not been able to do anything on our own power, by our own understanding, and we stand on the foundation of our identity. We're known by you, we're forgiven by Christ, and we're helped by your Holy Spirit. God, we don't have to ask uh, for that to continue to happen. We know that it will but we do ask that you'll continue to give us soft hearts and an understanding to see your work. Give us wisdom to know how to continue to respond to the way that you call us forward as individuals and the way that you call us forward as a church. I thank you for all the men and women and every boy and every girl that has come through these walls. I thank you for the opportunity to band together as the people of God, known by you for your purposes. In the name of Jesus, I pray, amen.